Today is, of course, Palm Sunday. Around the world, people are excited about this, what they call the Holy Week. Now, we celebrate the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem when palms, branches were placed as he went down that pathway. And so we call it Palm Sunday. So as we read the story, he was arrested on Thursday, was crucified on Friday. And that marks the beginning of the Holy Week, Palm Sunday, and the final week of Lent. It is celebrated in many different ways around the world. Most of the, tran the traditions that we have come from the 10th century. However, as far back as they could go, about 300 years after, 350 years after the crucifixion of Christ, was the first time that there was any recording of any celebration of Easter at all. There's a lot of strange ways that people celebrate Easter. There, are, there is a custom in some countries, Syria is one of them, where Christians go door to door and people give them candy. I don't understand what that has to do with, with Easter, but, but I think that the, the craziest, that strangest thing that I heard on Palm Sunday was the Finns. They have what they call Palm Sunday, Willow's Switch Sunday. Willow Switch Sunday. And what they do is the children, they go from door to door, and they have this willow switch, and they, and they, they, they hit the women. It, it's just, it's, it's not hard, but they, they just hit the women. And then the farm women, they go out and take the willow switch, and they hit the cows and the sheep. And I guess this, is, this switching is supposed to impart health to them. Now, what that has to do with Palm Sunday, I'll never be able to understand in my lifetime. There are some strange traditions that we even have in the Christian churches today. There are uh, some churches that um, have golden pins, palm pins, and some have silver. And they pray over these pins and they feel that there's a special anointing that happens if you wear this pin. And of course, the televangelists, they have all sorts of trinkets that they offer as protection from disease and natural disasters. Just send an offering in and you can get your insurance policy that nothing will happen to you. But this should be of no surprise. When Jesus entered into the holy city to celebrate the Passover, one of the great feasts of the Jewish calendar, his followers thought that he was the promised Messiah, and they began to celebrate him, and they thought that he was going to be the savior from the Roman oppression, and that he was the founder of a new state. But he confused the crowd as he interrupted those at the temple who were doing, were going about the business 
of selling pilgrims the required sacrificial animals and charging money for the required coinage in the temple. But then he began to speak of his death, about being a necessary means by which the kingdom of God would come. And by the end of the week, most all deserted him. The crowd went from blessed, the Bible says, blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Yes, they went from praising him and five days later they were saying crucify him. And they all left him. The Pharisees and the people of that day had a real problem. But so do we. If we do not know who we are in Christ, our hearts, apart from grace, will be just like theirs. And we will find ourselves on Friday mocking him as well. Are you on the wrong side of Easter? The real meaning of Palm Sunday was to show us who he is. He has perfectly made, made himself known by his actions, his words, his presence, his love, and his forgiveness. But look around us. I mean, just stop and think for a moment the inability that even the Christian church has with loving one another. It's reaching frightening proportions, emotional detachments, maintaining that our distance from one another is healthy. It's a prescribed as a solution from pain. And look at the neglect and the abuse of children and even the elderly that we see today. Look at the marriages where they are living together in loneliness and in hate. Why is it so difficult for us to genuinely love each other as Christians? Could it be that we are living on the wrong side of Easter? It's easy to imitate love if you don't really have it. We know how to do it. We know the loving terms, we know the gestures, but we have to put a false image on in order to pull it off. And so we fake it to make it. In the Bible, in John 13, 34, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then notice in 1 John, 1 John 2, 7, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is a word which you have heard. And what did they hear in the Old Testament? It's recorded in Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The commandment to love is both old and new. However, when Jesus came, he interpreted it 
in a radically different way. Jesus taught that love is a force and the identifying mark of the Christian community. It is the key to walking in the light. The commandment to love is the key. It's the key to our understanding the Bible. It's the key to understanding the Lord. And it's the key to understanding each other. The Bible says that love is, is the fulfillment of the law. Never before in the Old Testament had obedience been related or trusted to a principle. The law always hedged it. So again, the question is, are you living on the wrong side of Easter? Romans 5.5 5 says this, And hope and does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. True love comes from God. True love is not something that we practice. It is something who we are. If you are born again, you have a new nature. It is your nature to love. Then people say, well, why is it so hard for me to love them? I mean, I've accepted Jesus Christ. I'm born again. But sometimes it's just so hard for me to love people. And that's because there's so much confusion in the Christian church today. People hear that sermons on love and joy and, and peace, and they, they expect to find that in the church. And rightly so, we should expect to find it in the church. But instead, they experience rejection, prejudice. And if they stay long enough, they find that if they don't meet a certain standard, then they feel the rejection from the people but I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the spirit here in this church. It is a demonstration of the power and the love of God. Because it is hypocritical to reject anyone because you don't like his or her behavior. The Bible says we are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The basis for concern for one another is not how well we know the person or whether we enjoy one another or not. It is that we are related to one another. That's the issue. We are related to one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So we are related to each other. The Bible says, honor one another above yourself. It seems like today that everybody wants the credit. Well, let them have it. Because if you really care, if you don't care about who gets the credit, then you will be free to enjoy yourself and you'll be free to enjoy God. And God will work through you in a powerful way. The Bible says never be lacking in zeal, 
but always rejoicing in hope. And how do we do that? The Bible says by the renewing of the mind. I don't know the process that you go through to renew your mind. I can only share with you the process that I go through. When I wake up, the first thing I say is, good morning, Lord. This is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then as I get out of bed, I start thinking about, and it seems like it's just a natural thing for me to do now. I start thinking about how Christ came to me and knocked on my door over 50 years ago. And I responded. I didn't fully understand what I was responding to, but I knew that there was a vacuum in my life and I knew something had to fill it. And so I thought, maybe it's God. Maybe it's him. And I accepted him as my Lord and master. And then I found out that he gave me a new heart. And he gave me a new human spirit. And he did all this while I was a sinner. And then I found out that the moment that I said yes to him, I became a saint. I didn't feel like one. I didn't act like one. But the Bible says I was one. I was a saint who still sinned. And he did this. He knocked on my door knowing that I was going to sin again and again and again. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Then the Bible says that he sealed me. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the Bible did one, thing, one other thing for me. He seated me in the heavenlies. He wanted to make sure that I knew that it was a done deal. So I would never have to go back. This is the renewing of the mind. To look back and see what had happened to you when you said yes to Christ. Now you can bet that Satan has a tape whispering over and over again in your ear. You are not good enough. He comes to the Christian, the born again Christian. Remember, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And so he says to him, he says to the Christian, he says, you're just a lukewarm Christian. You don't do anything. You don't witness. You don't do this. You don't do that. You're just a lukewarm Christian. And why does he accuse us of being a lukewarm Christian? Because of what the Bible says in Revelation about why God hates lukewarmness. He hates it because it is an outward sign that we are not walking in the Spirit. We do not believe what he says to be true. We do not believe that we have a union with Christ. Now, over the years, I've heard preachers use this scripture in Revelation 
place guilt upon the congregation. In other words, they're saying, listen, is this a lukewarm church or not? Are you out there witness? Are you out there giving Bible studies? What are you doing for God? And they use this text to make the people feel guilty. And so Satan takes that, and he's the accuser of the brethren, and so he says to us, look at you. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You should be out there sharing your faith. You should be bold about talking to people about Christ. And this is the Satan's accusation. This is not true. This is not true. And shame on us who have been preachers to put that guilt upon people. Because that's not what the Bible is talking about in Revelation. The Bible says that, yes, he hates lukewarmness. And he says that he will spew you out of his mouth. In other words, you are not born again. In other words, this is not talking about the church. This is talking about unbelievers. And we get that all confused. It sort of sounds like in Matthew, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will de declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now the key word is here is I never knew you. This is not talking about Christians who, who get discouraged and drift away. This is not talking about them at all. The Bible assures us that when we are in Christ, he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will be with us all the way till the end. The Bible see, says that he has sealed us unto the day of redemption. We are solid with Christ. And so the Bible says, look, you didn't really believe me. You didn't listen to my word. You knew about me, but you didn't know me, and I didn't know you. Christians are a creation of a new heart. Now, no matter how we choose to walk in a given manner, Christ, our, our living in us through his spirit, but we choose to walk after the spirit or we can choose to walk after flesh. When circumstances comes at us, we are, we are, we are placed with a choice. We can either choose to walk in the spirit or we can choose to walk in the flesh. But because we choose to walk in the flesh does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that we are lost. The Bible says that he is the truth. And when we walk after the flesh, we're not being ourselves. If we rely on our intellect, our strength, our physical appearance to gain purpose and fulfillment. We're walking after the flesh. But we are designed to be dependent upon Christ. Walking after the Spirit is our destiny. That's who we are. Walking after, after, after Christ is just a practical application of what we really believe. We'll never be content with walking after the flesh. 
Those of us that have made those choices, we know what that is. We don't like ourselves when we do something like that. There's a battle within all of us. We are children of God now. Now we have spent most of our life walking after the flesh until we were born again. And when we were born again, we started looking at things different because there was a great battle within us. Sometimes I often thought how fortunate people are to be brought up and raised Christians and have an understanding of who Christ is. Because those of us that have come in later in life, that battle is stronger than those that have been raised in the, in the church. Our battle is far stronger. We spent most of our life trying to get our identity through our flesh. In Ephesians 2.10, the Bible says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So the Bible says that we are his workmanship. We've given our life to him. And he is working in us and through us. God has installed within us an intense, never-ending desire to find fulfillment through experiencing his life. All of us have experienced that. We may have not noticed it at the time, but we have experienced Christ living in us and through us. Sometimes it's simply a phone call. Sometimes it's a text to someone, a text of encouragement, a phone call of encouragement. We've all experienced it. And what a joy it is within us when, we've, when we sense that God is living through us. We may not know, understand all the circumstances. I remember years ago, I decided that I wanted to do something, but I didn't want anybody to know it. And so I decided that I was going to do some part-time work and take that money and share that, but I didn't want people to know it. And so I would, I would send the money in different parts of the states. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. I was sitting in a church in Twin Falls, Idaho. And um, before the service, the pastor had some people stand up and give a testimony. And I was impressed a couple weeks before that. I heard about this fellow that lived in Twin Falls and he was having a rough time. And so I decided that I would take this money that I had made working part time and I would send it to him. And I mailed it from Arco, Idaho. Arco, Idaho is in the middle of the desert. Very few people live in Arco, Idaho. It does have a post office. But so I went through Arco and I dropped that off. And now I'm in this church months later. I'm in this church. And this couple get up to give a testimony. And this, this man got up. He said, you know, he said, um, I would never have believed this in, in my lifetime if I hadn't witnessed it. He said that we were behind on our rent. And we had to have $400. We had 
the rent was 600, they had 200, but they didn't have the full amount. And they knew that the landlord was going to be very upset. He went to the post office, went to his mail, and he got, he got this letter from, or got this envelope from Arco, Idaho. He says, and we don't know anybody in Arco, Idaho. He says, I don't even know of anybody who knows anybody in Arco, Idaho. And he said, and God sent us the $400 to make our rent payment. And tears began to go down my, my eyes as, as I was thinking about how God used that. God's purpose is to live in us and through us. He will impress us even to, it doesn't make any difference what it is. It's maybe it's, it's going to somebody and inviting them to come to church. Maybe it's just a phone call and said, I was thinking about you. And you know, I think that that is the most important thing. A couple weeks ago, I was thinking about this person. I got on the phone, called them up, and I said, I was thinking about you, and I just wanted to know if everything was okay. Person started crying and was telling me all the problems that they were facing. That's what living in Christ Allowing him to live through you. You're not, you're not going to know exactly what, you, what you've done. And that's the important thing. We're just supposed to live out our life. Romans 6, 5 says this. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be able to be in the likeness of his resurrection. The Bible is very plain. We are united with Christ. When we said yes to Christ, he said yes to us. He knocked on our door, and we are united with him. We have Christ living in us. Whether we fully understand it or realize it, it's all true. We are his workmanship. We are everything that God wants us to be. Knowing this, the Bible says, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you gave your life to Christ that you were crucified with him? That you would no longer be slaves to sin? None of us are slaves to sin. It doesn't mean that we don't sin. We're not slaves to sin. That's what the Bible means. And then the Bible says this. For he who has died is free from sin. Do we believe that? Do we believe that we are free from the punishment of sin? Of course we are. When we accepted Christ as our personal Savior, he freed us. He freed us from the sin issue. We're not going to be lost because of sin. The other day, I was on the internet, and I was listening to a preacher out in California. And he was saying that, he says, you know, he said, it's too easy today. Preachers don't want to preach about sin. He says, but I'm telling you that we are sinners. And I thought to myself as soon as he said that, no, I said, you're a saint. That's still sin. He says, we are sinners. Our heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. He was quoting from the Old Testament. So what side of Easter are we on? Do we believe that? 
Do we actually believe that as they believed in the Old Testament? No. The Bible says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So do you believe that you will live with him? Do you believe this, this text in the Bible? Now if we have died with Christ, which we have, we had to to be born again, we believe that we shall also live with him. And indeed we will. In fact, in Ephesians 2.6, the Bible says this, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He guarantees us that when we leave this world, that we are already, right now, while we're living in this world, we're already seated with him spiritually. It's our guarantee that we will spend eternity with him. In 1 Corinthians 6, 17, the Bible says this, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Do we really believe that we are one spirit with God? That's what the Bible says. One spirit with him, united with him. The Bible says that we are fused. His spirit is fused with our spirit, our new human spirit. Living on the wrong side of Easter is living from the popular religion of trying to get close and stay close to God. Now, it's just natural when we come to Christ that we want to be close to God. And I am just as guilty as anybody else. I have prayed, I can't, I can't tell you how many times, oh Lord, I said, I want to be close to you. I didn't understand that I was as close as I was ever going to get. I was Already I was as close as I was ever going to get. We have the fullness of the deity that resides within us right now. We can't get any closer. He's in us. We are as close as we will ever get. So we need to quit trying to get close to God. I know that in some fellowships, they have all sorts of different programs for us to get closer to God. Whether it's studying the Bible, whether it's it's, it's prayer time or, or quiet time or whatever you want to call it. I know that there's a lot of Christians who feel that they're going to get closer, closer to God by doing it. These things are wonderful, but they're not going to get you any closer. You're as close as you'll ever be right now. We are growing. Yes, it's true. We are growing in our knowledge of God and we are understanding his love better now than we have a year from now. A year ago. When I look at what God has done, I, I just say, wow, what a God. What a God who would accept me, a sinner, knowing that I was going to sin again and again and again, and wrap his arms around me, bring me into the, fellow, the family of God, calling me his child. We are everything to him. We are pleasing to him. We are a pearl in his hand. Now, next week we're going to talk about a time for new beginnings. And sometimes it is a time for new beginnings. 
Once we begin to understand the resurrection of Christ, once we begin to understand exactly what took place with us after Easter, that we can put all these things that we've been taught to the side and latch on to what Christ was trying to teach us while he was alive here on this earth. He promised us everything. He promised us life. He said, if you have me, you have everything. You have life. He says, if you have me, you have the Trinity. You have the Trinity dwelling within you. You are a holy temple, he tells us. You are everything that I want out of a person. And you may be saying, well, then his, his want list isn't too high then. No, it is high. It is high. Because he looks at you differently than you look at yourself. We look at ourselves. We look at our track record. A lot of us haven't. We don't have a good track record. We always wish we would have been more faithful. We always wish we would have done this. We wish we would have done that. But God isn't interested in do you doing anything. He's interested in him doing it in you and through you. That's all he's interested in. He wants to use you, your personality. You're different than anybody else on the face of this earth. And he wants to use you. And he wants you to act like yourself. He doesn't want you to put on a show or a demonstration of, of godliness. No. He wants to work through you, through your personality, exactly who you are. What a God that can come to us and work through us, in us and through us, and who we are. We, name, we may not be happy with who we are, but he's happy with who you are. And that's what counts. He's happy. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you that you have called us. We're so thankful that we have responded. We're thankful, Lord, for what you are doing in us and through us. And Lord, I pray that you will help each one of us to have a better understanding of who we are, that we are precious in your eyes, that we are everything that you want us to be. And Lord, if there's any changes that you, you need to do in us, we're all willing to have you make those changes. We're thankful for what you have done. We're thankful for the promises that you have assured us with. We're thankful, Father, that we can count on you and I just pray that you will strengthen us with our knowledge, strengthen us, Father, with our willingness. We pray, Father, that our wants are your wants. We're thankful for all of this. Bless us now. Meet the needs that each one of us have, whatever they may be. And we will praise you throughout eternity. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.